Welcome to the Clear the Shelf podcast with Chris and Chris, the show that meets at the intersection of education and entertainment to discuss online arbitrage, retail arbitrage, wholesale, and all facets of selling on Amazon. We'll bring you news, tactics, strategies, insights, stories, and interviews to help you grow your Amazon business. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Grant and Chris Rasick. What is going on, everybody? And welcome to this week's episode of the Clear the Shelf podcast with Chris and Chris. And this week, we've also got Chris Anderson with us. So it is Chris, Chris, and Chris. Or I think we discussed calling this the triple threat. Not really sure that's going to stick with everybody. Uh, but Chris, I appreciate you being here, uh, being that's here with great. us, man. Well, both Glad to of be you guys, I appreciate both of you guys being here. Uh, so before we get started with the laundry list of topics that we're going to go over uh, in today's episode, there is a piece of news. Now, last week we talked about e-commerce uh, almost hitting the $1 trillion annual run rate. This week, I want to talk a little bit about Prime memberships. And there were some interesting t- statistics that came out, that I thought anyway, based on uh, a poll of around 100,000 people. So I thought the sample size was really good uh, to get some good information back. And it said that 80% of households take part in some sort of paid retailer program. So we're talking Amazon Prime, Walmart Plus, uh, DoorPass by DoorDash, uh, Target has shipped, and then there's a couple like Costco, things like that. What I found interesting is that 80% of those households, uh, 53% or 53.6% of households belong to Amazon Prime. So the the number of people that are in there in Amazon Prime compared to how many take part in a retailer program is pretty high. The other thing I found interesting is because 53.6% of households belong to Amazon Prime, that means 66 million households. I don't do public math, so I went ahead and did this before the show started. And that equals $9.2 billion in revenue for Amazon before anything, before anything even, before they buy anything. Now, the other thing is that Prime members spend almost $3,000, while regular Amazon shoppers actually spend about $2,600 annually. So there's quite a big difference there. Uh, Although it pales in comparison to Walmart Plus. Yeah, uh, Walmart Plus actually gets about $5,000 of wallet share. So now that we've talked about all those stats, I'm curious what you guys think. Do you think there is room for Amazon to penetrate more into the American household? And do you think that their acquisition of, what was it, whatever media company they just bought, was it Warner Brothers? I believe so. And, yeah. Not MGM. It was a movie studio right it was a movie st- i can't remember who it was it was one of the big ones they got 007 and and several other major franchises do you think that'll help move the needle at all to allow them to get into more households should i go first yeah yeah go I, ahead I, man you're the I, guest i i think that it will and i think that amazon prime has a very very uh huge value for money it's what it's a hundred bucks a year for for prime 139 now 139 okay so it's for 139 that's a little bit more than 10 bucks a month okay i get amazon prime movie okay which is great you get amazon music nobody else does movie and music and i use the the amazon prime on my phone for music plus you have the uh integrations with echoes um uh all sorts of stuff that just works and that's not even talking about actual amazon prime benefits like the shipping and all that stuff so there's so much that you get for really not that much money and it's just a value proposition i think is really going to be excellent especially if we get into a scenario where people have to tighten their belts a little bit and as they're bringing more a-list uh content in you know amazon's not dumb okay never think that amazon's dumb it's all on purpose they're looking at Netflix. They're looking at Hulu. They're looking at or at uh, Disney Plus. How are they losing money? Netflix right now is just hemorrhaging cash with original content, which Prime can buy up subprime. They can buy it up cheap, and then they're going to push out this stuff like the 007 franchise and 
and all this stuff. I, I mean, there's just, it, it makes, it doesn't make sense not to have it. You know, it, 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 they get to that point where it's just like, oh, well, there's so much value. I'd be dumb not to buy it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I see that they are right now. And so I think a definite market penetration is going to be, you know, they're going to get more and more households for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a proactive move to uh, stay ahead of things uh, and almost increase the lead that they already have. You know, echoing what, what Chris Anderson said, you know, it, it's Amazon really is is the biggest combo meal that you can get, you know, it, because you and everybody else is kind of only playing a la carte. You know, you look at Amazon Prime for ordering products versus Walmart Plus, you're at one thirty nine versus ninety nine dollars a year. But with Amazon, you get all the music and the movies and, and everything that goes along with it. It's a package deal. Walmart couldn't even hang on. They couldn't even integrate Voodoo. You know, they had to sell that off and partner with Fandango. You know, they couldn't even fold that in. Everything it, right it there. going now. Yeah, it's, you know, so, I mean, it's just Amazon kind of has something else to offer in addition to mm-hmm. anybody else that you put them up against. You know, so mm-hmm. I think this is just going to kind of increase their lead and kind of keep it a comfortable margin because that you know you look at look at the smart speakers alexa is is beating google home or, or whatever theirs is called you know i mean they they, they have sizable leads in, in almost every uh facet of of their product yeah it'll be interesting I, I i'm just curious how much penetration they can get like do they do they make it to 75 percent of u.s households uh which i think is a crazy number but i don't know maybe but that. I'll be honest. I thought fifty-three percent was low. You know, I, oh I, really? I would have guessed higher. You know, I would I would assumed it was getting closer to two-thirds of households. Interesting, interesting. Well, so during that little during that little news segment, Chris brought up something. Uh, Anderson, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna call you guys by your last name. You call me Deathblade if you want. Like <laughs> that's fine. So Anderson brought up something interesting. He brought up if, if people need to tighten their belt. And of course, if you read the news, you watch the news or, you know, however you uh, doom scroll on Facebook, whatever it is, uh, you know that every financial talking head, Jim Cramer on down to, you know, whoever else you might watch uh, is talking about the coming R word recession. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the, I always forget the, actual definition like is it two quarters of gdp in the negative or you know whatever it is uh but we're almost there and we see well some of the news and podcasts i listen to you're seeing uh large companies starting to pivot starting to lay lay people off tightening their belts and of course then main street gets in and main street affects more folks who are you know the average joes like us uh, so if we do happen to see belt tightening, my question to you guys is, uh, what are some of the important things that we can do as Amazon sellers so that we're not necessarily on our heels reacting, but we can be proactive and, and ready to, uh, weather a storm, survive a storm, and maybe even thrive through and after the storm. Uh, well, you know what, uh, racing, you, I went first last time. Why don't you go first this time? All right. Uh, you know, I think uh, from an Amazon seller perspective, uh, with an approaching recession, um, you know, I think uh, small and light could play a very big part mm-hmm. in uh, keeping our numbers, uh, you know, where we're used to seeing them uh, without too much of a downturn. Uh, you know, obviously they, they uh, changed that. I think we all know that uh, they recently upped it to uh, $10 as far as the price threshold on, on qualifying for small and light. So I think that could play a big part. Um, I'm kind of curious if, you know, I'm interested how it's all going to kind of melt together, you know, because you, last week we talked about it and there's a whole bunch of of information talking about uh, the increase in e-commerce, you know, and, and I've mentioned it, my family, you know, my parents order online and, and they're, they were kind of thrust into the market because of the pandemic, you know, so the pandemic kind of increased the amount of people in the market for shopping online. So I think maybe like maybe the glory days of of grocery, that category may, may come back. You know, I, I think it's probably not a bad idea to, you know, if, if you walked away from grocery, 
you know, from the, the glory days of selling two boxes of wheat thins for $18, you know, I, I mean, maybe, maybe that moves back and then you, you fold in small and light and, you know, maybe you can kind of maintain your units. Um, you know, the one thing to keep in mind about a recession though, is it's always kind of after the fact, you know, they, they usually report recessions after we've been in it for mm-hmm. so many months. So I, I think we'll probably see it in our own numbers first, you know, before the, the media headlines kind of match up to, uh, to what we might potentially see. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely not that worried about any sort of recession. You know, I'm a, I like to invest in stuff. And if you ever get a chance to read a book, it's called Margin of Safety. If you ever, also, if you ever find a copy of Margin of Safety at a Goodwill, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. Um, so I don't know if you guys know the joke. They're like a thousand dollars, like a copy of Margin of Safety. It's Interesting. Worth I like didn't a know grand. That. You find them every now and then at Goodwills. I've never found one, but like if you go over to like Reezy's uh, group, people will be like, "Hey, I just found this book. Is it worth anything?" Yeah, it's it is. But uh, you know, I think that so much of our stock market and so much of what um, what we invest in cryptocurrency, NFTs, all that stuff are way overvalued. You know, NFTs like the Board Ape Yacht Club. How is a picture of a ape worth eight hundred thousand dollars? Like it just doesn't make sense. And I like to think I'm a smart guy, so I can figure everything out. And I can't figure that one out. And you look at like Warren Buffett. The reason I bring up margin of safety is he he's a big fan of value investing. So he picks you know some sort of metric that he looks at, and he looks at a stock and says, is it overvalued or undervalued? And the answer is right now. You know, I, the last time I read this up. Uh, Tesla would have to manufacture cars for something like 1,600 years to make their market cap. That makes no sense. Now, I will tell you one thing. There is another company that one time was criticized because it would take, I believe, 1,200 years for them to hit their market cap. Do you know what company that was? Was it Enron or something? It was Amazon. No kidding. It was Amazon, yeah, right when they were early trading. Now, I might be wrong about the Tesla thing. Somebody's going to be like, no, it was like 1550 or whatever. But uh, so much of our market is so overvalued, and you have these large capital companies like Bain and uh, BlackRock coming in, and they're investing in places like uh, Kmart and Sears, and they're shutting them down. You know, I live in a town of 50,000 people. We have four major flagship stores empty. We have Toys R Us, we have Kmart, we have Sears, and there's another one I can't remember what it is. Just sitting there empty. Nobody wants to put these put a business in that. It makes no sense. So this has been so long overdue, I'm not afraid of it. Okay? Like, this makes sense. And the mm-hmm. smart money, if you're smart money, you're going to wait for the crash, you're going to invest, and then we're going to see, you know, markets go up and markets go down. Okay? That's all that there is to it. That's the natural cycle of a market, and smart money va- uh, makes money from that. It's just that simple. Now, as far as us and what we can control, um, we run probably one of the potentially leanest business models that you could run, okay? There's not too many businesses legitimately that you could do a million dollars in sales out of a a house, out of a, 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 you know, the basement of a house or one car garage. And there are people that we know that are doing, you know, 1.1, $1.5 million a year out of a bedroom, okay? We know these people. So the fact is, is that, you know, if the crap hits the fan, we're making money. Like, and we have such low overhead that it's hard to lose money in this business as long as you're making decent buys. Yeah, I agree. So here's something else I thought about, and I'd I'd love to hear you guys weigh in on it. So I was listening to the All In podcast. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with those, but it's basically five five Silicon Valley guys who, who talk about all kinds of stuff. And they were discussing how big companies react first to recessions and they start laying people off and things like that. And then uh, what happens is right now everything is overvalued, like you said, Chris, and that includes the talent pool. The talent pool is, you know, basically you can go get an engineering job or a software engineering job for $600,000, you know, but if you're like, hey, I want I want 17 weeks of vacation. They throw that in there uh, too because they they have to compete. Uh, but he says that the talent market starts to tighten up as well. And so those people who do have jobs, uh, they go back to, you know what? I don't need that 17 weeks of vacation and I'll go ahead and work 60 hours a week because I want to make sure that I look good to the boss. 
and so if that happens across enough industries, I actually think we might be set up to even take advantage because something will have to give. Maybe it's the weekend trip to Target and the grocery store, and instead they'll Amazon that stuff, uh, you know, or they'll spend more online just because they just don't have time to maybe go out and browse. Do you guys think that's uh, that's fair, or am I way off base there? I think that's really fair, and also, I mean, online shopping, I can set a very specific budget. You know, that is kind of beautiful. I, I use the grocery store we have out here as Martin's. I do curbside pickup with them all the time. Not only is it more convenient, but then I don't wander around the store and be like, oh, yeah, I haven't eaten Cinnamon Toast Crunch in 12 years. Let me try what that was like. You know, I don't do that. I just get what I want. They throw it right in my car, and I can go on with my life. Could it be better? And, you know, it's cost-effective and time-effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. The, you know, the targeted shopping um, mm-hmm. and then being a seller on the biggest marketplace in the world, you know, that, that collects what, 60 moving up on 60 cents of every dollar spent online, you know, it's a pretty good place to be. So that's, that's a good point. So the other, the other thing I was thinking about, uh, about recessions and, and Amazon and stuff like that is I know that a lot of people, they doom scroll and, you know, you read recession and then you see it on the news and then you get served a bunch of other articles about it. And so it it almost becomes a a self-fulfilling prophecy. And of course, Mm -hmm. You know, because it's in the news cycle so much, it becomes it becomes that thing we think about when we're laying in bed and can't sleep. Uh, so my question is, what do you tell the Amazon seller who is like, you know what, I'm going to close up shop because a recession is coming or I'm going to I'm going to stop spending money because a, a recession is coming. How do you explain that? You know, <laughs> so these booms and busts, these economic enemas is how I heard it uh, described the other day uh, are a they're they're cyclical they always happen but the businesses that survive recessions depressions things like that actually do better on on the other side because just just by the mere fact that they have survived so how, how do we give the Amazon seller uh, I don't know that motivation to keep going even if it feels like something bad is coming. Chris, why don't you take this one? Yeah, I, I think the first thing to tell him would, would be to remind him of the uh, the stoic uh, quote that we suffer more in imagination than in reality. Um, you know, I remember the, the last recession, I was in the mortgage business. So I uh, there, there was a lot of conversations uh, had about recession and whatnot. Um, people... It, it tends to be more of a, a, a tagline than it is a reality. Because uh, I remember talking to people and so many people were, were still talking about how bad the economy was and everyone's 401k had already recovered and they were, they, they had picked up about 20 or 30% from where they originally started. And you know, the, the recession or whatever it was, whatever they classified it as had been over for years. But people were still talking like, oh, you know, the, you know, times are tough. You know, and I, I, I remember telling somebody, I said, no, they're not. <laughs> it's over. You know, it's been over for years. You know, like like you need to look at the actual, you know, they, they were just running with this concept. You know, it, was, it felt like a bunch of people who only read the headline and, and don't dig into the article at all. You know, so I, that's what I would I kind of go on a, on a general basis there, you know, like make sure you're making decisions on actual data, you know, and actual numbers that you're seeing instead of sentiment that you're picking up from the media. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think it's all made up. I'll be honest with you. I think all math is just made up numbers. All money is just made (laughs) up. I, I, you might've heard me typing. I have the world's loudest keyboard. Never buy a mechanical keyboard if you're going to do podcasts, but there's a quote by Lady Gaga and it's, uh, remember that your career will never wake up and tell you that it doesn't love you anymore. And the same is true with your Amazon business. You know, when Chris, you're talking, you're, you're dead on about, you know, the, the talent market gets real weird. Um, my Amazon business, I know the profit and loss on it. I know where it is. I know if I'm going to go out of business or not. I know exactly how much money I'm making. I don't know how much money I'm making from my boss. My boss could tomorrow wake up and be like, Oh crap, we need to lay, people off 
you don't know that. So the truth is, is that if there is a recession, the most control you can have is being your own boss. Because then if your company that you work for goes bankrupt, well, you, you know, like, like so many people, they're like, oh, I, I could never be an entrepreneur. It's too scary. It's too, you know, uh, it, it's too uncertain. Well, have you ever been fired from a job? That's pretty uncertain sometimes, you know. For normal people, it's probably uncertain. For me, I knew always why I got fired, but that's another <laughs> podcast entirely. Um, you know, and, and, and that's the and that's the truth. You know, if you want security for your family, even if it's not that you do this full time, but you just have it as a backup side hustle that it's always been like, hey, you know what, if I needed to flip a switch, I could do that full time. You know, and you keep building your skills, keep building that income. Um, that could be a good way to go if you want to do it full time. You'll know where the money's coming from. Yeah. You make a you make a really good point and something Thank that you. I I think is maybe not talked about enough. But I don't know. You go you go out on Instagram, you go out on TikTok, and everybody's like, Oh, you know, here's how here's how you get to seven figures, here's how you get to, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month and, and things like that. <clears throat> Can we talk about how important it actually is to okay? Maybe you're not at a million dollars a month. Maybe you're at $200,000 in sales a year. Maybe you're at $100,000 in sales a year. How, I, I don't know. I find that kind of business, that one that is helping pay an extra car payment or putting kids through college or paying down student loans or whatever it is, I find that business so much more attractive than I do the people who are always like, you know what, it's, you got to get to a million, you got to get to a million. Um, I don't know. It's one of my pet peeves when I go scroll social. When I was looking at the mortgage on a $200,000 house, I looked at this a while ago, so I know the mortgage rate has changed on this. But uh, the mortgage on a $200,000 house, um, I forget the, what terms I put in for the mortgage, but it came out to about $2,200 a month. Okay, $2,200 a month. Let's do some, let's go backwards on some math here. Let's assume that you have a 10% profit margin. Okay, profit margin. I'm not saying return on investment. I'm saying profit margin. You need to be doing, oh crap, I'm doing public math again, $40,000 a month in sales, right? Did I do that right? That's, that's okay. pretty daggone close. Oh, $20,000. 20000 That would get me two grand a month in profit. Okay, $20,000 in profit or in sales a month, that's nothing. That's $240,000 a year. That's not a very large Amazon business. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you're not living in a half a million or a $200,000 house, there you go. Why not? Okay. And it's a very poignant question. And I mean, there's plenty of people that I've consulted with and, and talked to. And it's like, no, I just want to, I want to pay my wife's car payment. I want my wife to not have to work or my husband to not have to work or, you know, be able to do a part-time job instead of a full-time job. And those are very, very reasonable and very, very obtainable goals. When you talk to people and they're, they're like, oh yeah, um, I, I'll tell you number one, how I can tell if you're going to fail at FBA. Ask this question. Hey, uh, anybody know if you can do this and like really make like a million dollars a year in profit? <laughs> and, and and the people that ask that question are making twelve dollars and fifty cents an hour. So it's it's that, that's all it comes down to. It. But when I see somebody that they're like, oh yeah, so my goal is uh, I want a new car and uh, car payment insurance going to be five hundred bucks a month. Let's do it with Amazon. Yeah, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's the, you know, there's the philosophy of, of everybody's looking for the lottery ticket now, you know, it's, uh, it's the board ape NFT, you know, and, and obviously the, the tweets of, hey, I flipped this and made a stupid amount of money in, in no time at all. You know, the, those are the flashy tweets that are going to get liked and, and, you know, whatever you do with TikTok to indicate you think it's cool. Uh, you know, those are the ones that are going to get attention, you know, and everybody wants that lottery ticket now. That's, it's the get rich quick you know it, it mm -hmm. it's there's no stigma attached to uh getting rich quick anymore you know no it, because too many people are achieving it apparently from from mm -hmm. our highlights on social media but um you know you go back to and you mentioned warren buffett you know like you know i think the people that are going to do really well even if we do sink into a recession or whatnot you know or the, the those old-fashioned uh buy and hold you know a nice dividend portfolio, you know, those people, those mm -hmm. people are going to do all right. Mm -hmm. My, uh, my, my mom grew up in a town where everything was named after this lady. Um, apparently, and I forget what her name was. It was, uh, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, I do believe was a town. Uh, she, she was a secretary for IBM during the depression. They couldn't afford to pay her. So she, they gave her stock. 
she worked for about 10 years for stock. And then when she retired, she bought a hospital. Like, you know, like, you're right. Like, you can make dumb money from that. And that's just, you know. Reminds crazy. me of the, ga- the the 90-year-old gas station attendant who left, like, $3.2 million to, I don't know, like a school in his, in his town. Yeah. And he had pumped gas at the local gas station for, like, 45 years. Hey, listen, man. In my will, my cats get all my cryptocurrency. I love it. Uh, <clears throat> this is just an aside. I don't understand why. <laughs> why in in 2022, I don't know. I've been reading a lot and and watching a, more news than I should have here lately. Uh, but I don't know why we still equate like recessions uh, with bread lines. Like we haven't done that in like a hundred years almost. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but that's of course where everybody goes when when you talk about it or think about it. Yeah. Uh, so Anderson, you brought up uh, someone making twelve fifty an hour. And that kind of brings me into the next topic I want to talk about, and that's buying back your time. And I know that we talked a little bit before the show about how like you think it's stupid to go get free boxes. Uh, and well, I, I, there's an asterisk next to that, Grant. There's an asterisk. <laughs> I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you explain. But I want to talk to you guys about as you're as you are growing your business maybe you're you know you are making a little bit of profit every month what kinds of things should you do to buy back your time or or free up some time so that you can focus on profit inducing activities uh and just kind of round robin this and and drop some ideas on people uh number one you need to realize that the only time you make money in this business is when you buy not when you sell not when you prep not when you wait in line to buy, to find boxes at the liquor store. Uh, you only make money when you're spending money. There you go. That's my, that's my lightning round. Um, you know, I, I think there, it seems like certain people, when they become sellers, they, they think there's like a FBA seller starter kit. You know, I, I think people kind of buy too many tools and services right out of the gate, you know, because whatever guru or whatever Facebook group that they've uh, joined and and read, they think that that's what they need to do. Um, And I think it's important to kind of pay attention to what each service and what each tool does and and how it can help your business before you just go out and and, and buy a a suite of services. You know, I Mm -hmm. I think that could be, you know, especially lower volume sellers, you know, you can kind of per month yourself to death with subscriptions, you know, if you're not careful. Absolutely. That is very, very good advice right there. That might be the advice of the night right there. Um, uh, I would say to know what activities you can easily get something or somebody else to do for you. I talk to people and they're like, I spend like 15 minutes a day uh, entering all my sales into an Excel spreadsheet. I'm like, that's uh, seven hours a month, unless you're making twelve fifty an hour, or well, whatever that divides out to be, eight bucks an hour or so. Get Inventory Lab; it's fifty bucks. It does it automatically. You're saving money by sp- you're saving so much money in time, more time than money, just by fifty bucks. That's not that much. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm a so I'm I'm a big fan of this. I mean, someone mows the lawn, someone cleans the house. Uh, if I, I cannot bring myself to go out and like hire a chef, although, well, I don't, heck, I don't even know if I can afford it. I, I won't even go and find out how much it costs, but I have bought, uh, you know, meals in the, in the mail or meals they drop off on the front porch. Uh, you know, I've done all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of buying, buying your time back. Uh, and your example of, of boxes was a, was a great one. Uh, which I know there's an asterisk there, but (laughs) I think one of the other things is you should think about uh, prep help. First of all, Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge one. And I know that I know Anderson, I know you've got strong feelings on people should not prep their own stuff. Uh, But other than prep, what are some other things that we could easily or maybe even cheaply give to someone else to do? Cleaning, cooking, cleaning, that kind of stuff. You know, I hate to cook. I hate to clean. Well, I, I like to cook, but I hate to clean. 
So, yeah. you know, if I can have somebody come over, and I do, I have somebody come over about five to ten hours a week. I have five cats, so it's more cleaning than, you know, most most people probably. But, you know, that uh, maybe hundred bucks a week or every now and then to get cleaning done in my house is worth every dime. Not only do I hate to clean, but it's done better than I could do it. And I can use that time to do something I enjoy, like making messes. <laughs> Yeah, Rasek, do, uh, what what have you what have you outsourced? Well, I'd, I'm not allowed to say prep, but uh, you know, I, I have outsourced that. I um, I have out, outsourced the uh, lawn service. Um, although I first couple times I have cut it myself. You know, just I don't mind mowing the lawn in in April and like early May, and then but you know by the time it hits warm weather in June, I'm like, all right, that's enough this year. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I have outsourced that. Um, I hired I hired VAs for the uh, just recently for the first time. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of my own online sourcing. I was doing all of it. You know, prior to uh, a couple months ago, so that's new to me. Um, I'm not sure how much time it's saving me yet because <laughs> there is training involved. You know, so uh, I do spend quite a bit of time going through what what they find and. And what they think are, are good leads, but uh, eventually that'll pay off. I, I have faith in that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, we don't hire a chef, but uh, you know, Uber Eats and, and DoorDash does that count? Yep, absolutely. And I wish absolutely. I lived in an area that had those. It that's you don't have DoorDash or no. Uber Eats. No, Altoona puts things like mustard on their mac and cheese and. Well, they don't. firstly, we put peppers, bologna, and American cheese on our pizza. Oh, and yeah, that's messed up. That oh, is. Oh, that, that is, is not messed up. It's not, not that bad. Okay. You're defending it. Listen. <laughs> um, oh my god. Firstly, I don't live in Altoona. If I lived in Altoona, I'd have DoorDash and Uber Eats. I live outside of Altoona. That's the problem. I, I say that I live in Altoona because if I told you where I lived, you'd be like, where? And then I have to tell you, buy Altoona. And then you'd say, where? And I'd say, in between Philly and Pittsburgh. Oh. That that boggles. Okay, I can't believe that you guys would eat that garbage. I mean, that's a... I can only green imagine... Peppers, green bell peppers, fried bologna, American cheese. It's it's not that bad. It's way better Those than Okay, Those are well, all I mean, if, good foods separately. If you started with it's really not that bad, that'd be a different thing. But you're you just opened with that's not that weird. Like I mean, you know, you kind of need to own your weirdness. You know? <laughs> Listen, we eat Scrapple out here. Scrapple is what you what, the stuff that's not suitable to make a hot dog out of. You make Scrapple out of. <laughs> Top of the bottom right. of the barrel. <laughs> so speaking about Scrapple. Let's let's talk about replens a little bit. Replens are their I don't know. Right now they are the trend du jour among Amazon sellers. Everyone wants replens. I got to have replens. My business can only be replenishable items. Uh, and but I don't know. I think everybody makes replenishables harder than it needs to be. That's my own opinion. Uh, and yeah. I'm curious I'm curious what you guys think. Let's talk about the definition of a replen for people who may not know or for people who are like, oh, well, a replen is something I can sell 100 times a month. Uh, and then after that, I also want to talk about how do you go out and find these kinds of replenishables that you can you can buy on repeat. Uh, so, Rasek Anderson, what, what do you guys think are, what is the definition of replens? Go ahead, Anderson. Okay, for me, it's anything I can buy again. That's it. I keep it real simple. Clearance, not a replen. Sales, probably not a replen, but there's an asterisk next to that. I do a lot of grocery store sourcing, and there are sales uh, that they have every so many weeks. Uh, one that we, for instance, they might have, you know, Hellman's mustard varieties uh, or Goulden mustard varieties, uh, 10 for 10. It's a very common sale, and they have that sale at my local chain about every six weeks. So, yeah, I can't go in every day and get that sale price, but every six weeks I can. 
there's a thing called Google Calendar, and I just have a calendar set up to remind me this is my week to go and buy an obscene amount of mustard. And, you know, that that's the kind of thing. A lot of people are like, oh, you can do that? Yeah, you, you can do that. Yeah, No law against that, as far as I know. Um, so just anything I can buy again, even if I can't immediately buy it again at the same price. There might need to be a few conditions that align, but for the most part, I can buy it again. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I had, when I first started, there was a, a, a pair of headphones that was sold at Best Buy. And it was, I, they were a little bit over a hundred bucks or something like that. And, and uh, I didn't have a whole lot of capital first starting out. So I would only buy like one or two a, a per month, you know, and it was, I buy it for 120 and, and, you know, I think it sold for, it gave me like 20, 30 bucks profit, you know, but, but I was okay mm -hmm. at that time. And, and it was just one or two a month. Technically that's a replen, you know, it, yeah. We've mentioned it before that it's replens. The word replens have turned has turned into some mythical, you know, unicorn that that you know entire systems are, are sold around. You know, establishing a, a, I won't put the two words together, but a course about replens. You know, it it's not that technical and it's it it's not that hard. You know, and, and it's really a, it's probably a skill that every seller sh could probably get better at no matter what level you're at is is simply logging your purchases and continuously going back to them you know and and reviewing them you know whether you you know pull the asins from your spreadsheet of what you purchased already and run that through ta if you want to or simply just go i, I go on a google sheet and i just i each every couple of days i go through a different month and i'll just pull up i have all the links to the amazon listing and then the links to the store where i bought it i'll just open those up and take a look at them again and I'll, you know, I'll end up buying several things off of each previous month's spreadsheet. You know, that's that's replens, you know, effectively. Right. You know, I mean, it's just mm -hmm. stuff bought before that you buy again. Simple as that. It's not, you know, there's no, uh, you know, and there's, there, you know, a lot of uh, databases are coming out trying to make it easier uh, on, on these replens. But I think it's probably something you should do on your own, you know, and, and, and the better you get at it you know, the better your sales will be as a result. Can I, uh, can I give a tip that maybe I should like package into a course and sell for $47.99? Let's hear it. Um, so I like to track my replants. Chris, you said, or Rasic, you said that you uh, use a Google Sheet and you check it. Do you just use Google Sheets? Do you use like Airtable or anything? Just Google Sheets. I would, I, so I use Airtable for my replants um, spreadsheet. And the only reason that I do, and I might be able to do this in Google Sheets, but I don't know how to do it, you can turn your column into a barcode. So I can have the UPC and then have the next column pull the UPC and make it into a barcode that you can scan with a scanner. It's really nice when you're going from one computer to another. You could have it on your phone. So you go to Walmart and you, I actually have the Walmart shelf numbers in my spreadsheet so that I can have the manager order for me right off my phone. That's a really nice touch. But I have that all going on. And I'll tell you one thing that people don't realize that you can do with Keepa now is you can actually set low price and high price alerts. So what you can do is, so I have replens, you know, so one more thing that people don't get about replens is replens die every week, every month, every week. So I have replens, I have a spreadsheet of them, I have I move them from one category to another, and I will go back and recheck my replens from the past, from years before or months before. And let me also add a real quick way to do this is if I am going to Walmart. Let's say I go to Walmart, I buy a bunch of stuff off clearance. That's never going to be a replen. I put that in inventory lab as Walmart. If it's going to be something I buy off the shelf where it potentially could be a replen, I put the supplier as Walmart replen. Okay. So I can pull all of my ASINs out of the Walmart replen supplier and inventory lab and throw those into Keepa and recheck them. I could also reverse search them or forward search them in tactical arbitrage. So yeah, I found it at Target for 288, but hey, Walmart's got it for 225 and I can find that with TA real easy. But then I can throw those all over into Keepa and oh, okay. So I bought it and it was profitable at $12. The price went down to $9 and then Keepa will let me know, oh, hey, it's back up to 12 bucks, time to buy. And I could see that because keep in mind, if you're if, if everybody's buying it at the same price, okay, and the price tanks on it, it's not going to be profitable. So people aren't going to replant it. So that sales rank is going to go down in the good way that, you know, lower golf scores, whatever. 
it's going to go down. It's going to sell more. Then people are going to jump off the listing. The price is going to go back up. And then you could see that on the way back up and start getting it back in at the profitable price from before. Yeah. Pretty easy to do. I, I like that. I like that idea. And I'm sure a lot of people don't either don't know or, or don't take the time to set up those. those Again, basic tools. Basic tools. Yeah. Basic tools. Seventeen ninety nine a month for uh, Keepa, and uh, that's all an automatic scan, by the way. Like yeah. you just get an alert for that. That's not. I don't have to do anything. I hate doing things. <laughs> what does what does a replan have to look like for you guys? Like what kind of kind of profit are are you looking for? Gross profit. What kind of ROI are you looking for on it? Uh, you know, or does it matter? Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to no. me. I, I mean. You know, ideally, a lot of my grocery stuff, I probably want to be under 100,000 in rank. But even that, I'm not, I don't really care about If the money's there, the money's there. Um, the biggest thing probably is just going to come down to, is it worth my time to keep this replan? I've had replans that I've kicked uh, just because they were such a pain in the butt. I had a replan, although it did not, it, it didn't follow the Amazon TOS. It was a, essentially six wine bottles in a box. They weren't wine bottles, but imagine six glass wine bottles in a box. It would take like almost 10 minutes to prep. Okay, yeah, he's making good money on it, but I, it would tie somebody up almost a day to prep as many as I wanted to send in at a time. And after a while, I figured out, you know what, there was better ways to do this. Mm -hmm. you guys, do you guys ever think about, okay, well, I'm, I'm only going to consider this a replan if I think going forward I could make $20 a month in profit, or does, does that ever come into play? Eh, no. Not really. But, you know, one thing that you can do, and I've talked to sellers that have done this, where they just arbitrarily somewhat decide to, like, okay, I'm going to cut down to 50 replens a month. I'm only going to stock 50 items. And they just look at everything, and they, they micromanage all of their replens and get it down to 50, and then they build back up from there. So you can pick the best ones. I have replens I make, like, I have a replen I make, like, 25 cents off, okay? But I buy it by the case. And all you have to do is open the box, sticker, 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 and I just have somebody do that. They can prep like almost a thousand dollars worth of profit for me in a couple hours. Okay, and why, why, why not do that? That makes no sense. I want to kick that out of bed for being, you know, a twenty-five percent uh, ROI. That's not bad. Buy it for a dollar, yeah. sell it for a dollar twenty-five profit. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, that's my philosophy too. I, I kind of look at it as as the cumulative. Um, like we have a, a we have a group that we run uh, about a, with a, a discount store and they have these annoying stickers and, and their own uh, barcodes and whatnot. And, and so it, it does add a little bit to prep. But um, I don't know if it drives the other members nuts or not. They haven't said so uh, out loud, at least. But I love the buy for one ninety nine and, and make a two fifty profit on. You know, I, I, I add, add those all the time. And, and the way I look at it is if I'm going to make a trip to this store, I'm going to absolutely add that lead to the list because I've got a list of 20 or 30 shopping items that from this specific store, you know, so it's, it, I look at it as my shopping carts, hopefully plural, you know, what, what's mm -hmm. in them total, you know, and, and because from my perspective, I'm still growing, you know, so if I, if I add a product that is 125 or 150% ROI, but it adds to my prep time, I'm okay with adding time, you know, to, to prep because I'm still growing. I don't know what, when I finally reach whatever number it is, you know, that I end up with, which I'm, I'm way below right now. Yeah, I'll look at getting more efficient at that time. But if, but I'm trying to scale, I'm trying to grow. So I need to be adding prep time, you know, and then if I find something mm -hmm. else and that, that $2.25 profit isn't worth it anymore, that's probably a good situation, good problem to have, you know? Um, and, and yeah, it's nice. Like, you know, we'll, we'll, I keep picking on Walmart as a replant place. But you, by the way, you can get a replant from anywhere. I have replants from gas stations, guys. Like, I'm not even sure. I'll tell you what it was because it can't sell anymore. Your hair mugs. So, so oh, yeah. hundreds of them. You know how I paid for those? I drove up and down the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Okay. I literally bought them at truck stops. Okay. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and you know, I mean, so you were buying them for, uh, I think they were like eight ninety nine, sell them for like thirty five, forty bucks. So like, yeah, you can literally find I replens from Sheets. I was selling the, um, what were those uh, Red Bulls that were white, and you could like only get them in Pennsylvania. It was real oh, weird. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but but here's the thing, you know, Chris, you're talking about uh, Chris Racek. You're talking about you know having that list. 
not only can you get that list, so you walk into Walmart and you're like, okay, let me grab all my replens. Okay, I just spent $1,000. Let me go check the clearance section. Oh, uh, clearance wasn't good. Well, I spent my 1000 bucks anyway. Get out of here. And you just had a good shopping trip. Now, let's add that to your effort. You could just make that list and give it to somebody and say, here, here's my credit card and here's a list. Go to Walmart for me. While you're at home, you know, doing racic stuff, and then you got somebody else prepping for you, you're not even touching inventory. And so they don't need to scan that stuff. You could go and check, oh, okay, you know, is the Amazon price still in the parameters that I want it? Yes, it is. Go buy that, you know, buy everything you can off the shelf at Walmart for me. That's dumb, easy to do. You could have your kids do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you have kids that, that could shop for you. Okay, perfect. So you can give your kids the credit card and tell them to go ham. And I mean, that's really easy to do. I do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You you bring up something really, I don't know. I, I've said this before, and, and you made a, a good point of it. I don't think that, I think people need to keep their head on a swivel a little bit more. Uh, you know, finding replens at places like gas stations, uh, you know, reminds me, I know that the best gas station in the entire world, Wawa, uh, it has, has its own brand of coffee and all that kind of stuff. And surprisingly enough, some of it actually sells really well on Amazon, uh, you know, and, and what are all these kind of nooks and crannies that you're not going to see a ton of other resellers sourcing where you could just hit, you know, gold mine after gold mine. Uh, and there's a lot more out, a lot more of those out there than I think people may realize. A good example of that might be Skyline Chili. You're from Ohio, Chris, and mm-hmm. you can explain to us why anybody would put chili on uh, spaghetti. You have, to, uh, oh, if you're going to criticize Altoona Pizza, we need to discuss chili on spaghetti, okay? I mean, I oh, think, that, I, I don't know. That's an easy connection. Come it's on, like that's apples a, and that's oranges. Great. It's not. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, for a long time, if you're not familiar with Skyline Chili, it's disgusting. And you, if you're from Ohio, for some reason, you put it on spaghetti and uh, put cheddar cheese on top, and then it's you on the get in Ohio. It's better on the counties. But anyway, the thing is, is that you could really only get that in Ohio and uh, Indiana. I think it it spilled over into a little bit uh, for a long time. Okay, and that was a very exclusive thing. Now it's pretty much all over the place, but. Like, even Entenmann's used to only be in the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. I grew up in New Jersey. So when you're like, yeah, Wawa, I'm like, wait, how do you know Wawa? Oh, yeah, it's in Florida now. Mm. It is. It I, is what, uh, Tasty Cakes are out, uh, out that Tasty way, Cakes? Too. Yep. You got Middlesworth Potato Chips. That's a big one out in central Pennsylvania. You guys have probably never heard of. They're so great on Amazon. Nope. Never heard of those. Yep. Ranked like 30K in grocery. Oh, wow. Yeah. Long enough expiration date on them for uh, for FBA, or do they have to be merchant no fulfilled? merchant fulfilled. Nice. Yeah, but they come in the box. Oh, that's so great. See, th- those are like See? The perfect. Those are perfect replens. See, I tell people. people <laughs> I know, and and here's the thing. I'm lazy. I always say this. I am lazy. I look for the easiest way to do things. Doesn't get easier than that. Yeah, that's a that's a really why work hard when you really don't have to. <laughs> that's there that's quote of the week <laughs> yeah i think i think so um sorry guys let me take just a little note here <laughs> it was quote of the week in uh verge once so that was good is that when they interviewed this burly guy from central pennsylvania <laughs> yeah I'm, i've legally been called burly in a publisher in a publication so, Chris, I think, or Rasek, I think you had a, a question you wanted to ask. I want to let you get to that. Yeah, I, uh, I was looking forward to the opportunity to ask both of you guys, uh, since you're both in the coaching slash instruction realm. Um, not so much the beginners. Uh, you know, I think there's there's plenty of advice and, and plenty of places to to get that to get that information, but. What's the, the number one thing that you wish you could kind of hammer home to intermediate and long-term sellers from a coaching perspective? What, what do you wish you, you could coach out of them faster? Uh, well, Chris is choking to death. Um, I'll take this one. 
Um, so, so what I would say is this, um, make sure that when you're hiring somebody to do a task for you, that you're not hiring them to do something that's a very easy tool to do with software. So I was doing, I, I, I work full time as a consultant for a couple companies and we, I was talking to somebody in one of their departments and they said, oh yeah, we have like four people. This company has about 5,000 ASINs. They're all brand registered, but people still jump on the listings. They had people that were just going through the ASINs in different markets and looking who had the buy box and then seeing, is it us or is it somebody else? And then going from there with it. And I was like, you have people do that for you? Uh, you know, there's a tool out there for $17.99 a month called Keepa that will do that for you several times a day very easily. And that's something where they're hiring people to do that. And that's maybe an extreme example but I talk to people all the time that they're like, oh, yeah, I have a VA that does my pricing for me. It's like, I get why you might want to do that versus not having a repricer. I get it. But, you know, for a smaller seller that maybe can't afford several hundred dollars a month to have a real human do it, I would rather pay a repricer than not do it at all, you know? So, you know, make sure you're utilizing tools before utilizing expensive labor. I like that. I think I think what I might tell people uh, is start applying 80-20 principles to your business as soon as possible. Uh, we've only got the ability to to be using so many levers in our business, and some of those levers are going to be super short and, and not really move the needle in our business very much. Some of those levers are going to be incredible, and they're going to move our business forward way more than than other things we do. So if you apply those 80-20 principles, I think you're going to see growth snowball uh, because you're going to be applying your time, your effort, your knowledge, your work to the items that are actually, you know, maybe maybe 20% of your sourcing is producing 80% of your profits. Well, now 80% of your sourcing could be done away with and you could really hammer hard on the 20% that's working, whether it's a particular vertical uh, or a particular kind of product or however it is. Uh, but, you know, cutting the dead weight, I think, uh, will help people a lot uh, in the amount of time that they're using in their business, the amount of profit they have. Uh, and then, you know, you're going to get rid of headaches too, because if you really look at the business, you're going to see, okay, well, here's where 80% of my headaches come from. It's really only 20% of, of the business. Well, what can we either outsource to software? What can we outsource to a per, another person? Uh, and now I can cut down on the number of headaches I have to deal with too. So I think taking some critical looks at our businesses, uh, you know, through an, a lens of 80, 20 principles is probably the best path forward. That's good stuff. Chris, you mentioned, uh, Anderson, you mentioned repricers and, and having a VA do it manually. Um, I double dipping on the questions, but I, here's something I've been kind of rolling around in my head are, and it, because we talked about replens and how they're kind of taken on this, this life of their own and become, in our minds, become something that they're not. Are people putting too much faith in how sophisticated repricers are? Ooh, that's a that's a great question. Um, yes and no. Ah, oh, man. I would say this. I would definitely make sure that you're using a good quality repricer. Um, I've used a lot of repricers. I've had some good times with them. I've had some bad times with some of them. Um, I use. I'll just tell you which ones I've used, kind of in order. Um, App Eagle or inform.co whatever it is now yeah. then i've tried out bql i've tried out goora i'm using proper protector pro currently i've used seller snap and i think i used it was like channel max or something it wasn't the one that's like a thousand dollars a month it was one that was like for more used books so i've used a few of them and i've had good results with some, really most of them i've had bad results with some of them i'm currently using proper protector pro and i've had a good luck with it um and you know, at the end of the day, it's just, it's a software that does what you tell it to do, hopefully, asterisk hopefully. So you need to make sure that you are setting it correctly. That's the biggest thing. You know, with Proper Protector Pro, you can go and you can set aggression levels. You can set, you know, all sorts of cool stuff. 
where one of the one of the strategies I love, especially with repricing uh, my replants, is I love to set for at my minimum for it to go back up to my maximum. So if I have a product that I want to sell between ten and fifteen dollars, let's say, and somebody tanks the price down to nine dollars, I want to price mine at fifteen because when they run out, reprices will it'll create like a sawtooth pattern going up and down. So the way to set that in every repricer, as far as I know, you can do this. You set if my competitor is below my minimum, I go to my maximum. Okay. Now you also need to make sure your maximum is not too high, or else you will get repricing errors. But that's the kind of stuff that you can set and is very effective. And you know, I don't see a lot of people utilizing strategies like that. And I've seen, I've even seen like Dylan from Goora. That I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I stole that idea from him. Okay, he's talked about this in various webinars, and it's not just you can't you can do it in other repricers besides Goor, and it's a great idea. So you know, the 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 more clever you are with your settings, the better you will do, and it's just that simple. Now I know I know personally of a of a repricer story. Are you under some sort of cease and desist? Uh, you know, I just don't I just don't know what I can say about BQL on this video. Okay. All right. You can, uh, yeah, we're all about the truth here. So you can say, you can say whatever your truth is, man. I, I whatever my truth, I don't even know. My truth. I, I had some problems with BQL where they were pricing below my minimum. And I've run into that with other repricers besides them. And it's just very frustrating. So, you know, um, and, and there's been some talk. I, I, what I hated about BQL was that that did happen and then they kind of blamed me for it. And like personally, I think that if you set a repricer at, and say like my minimum should be ten dollars, it should not go minimum, minimum. Like it should not go below that. And and some people have a different definition of minimum apparently. So I don't know. It de depends on what the definition of the word is. Is you know. I I just I hate the way that they spell the name of their repricer. I don't I don't care for the B Q. And then I don't even know if there's U O L or O O L. I don't no, know. there's not. I don't. I don't care for it. No. Uh. But but you know, I will tell you this. One thing that I do like about the the thing that also so disappointed me about BQ was that they had so many good features that I was like, oh, this is a stupid good move uh, feature. So one of them was that at a certain time of the day they would reprice stuff back up for you. Mm. So like four in the morning you could go back up to your max price. Now that isn't Profit Protector Pro now. Uh, I don't know where else it is available, but because I, I go where it has it. Okay. That's such a dumb idea, like dumb, good idea. Like it's so blatantly obvious. Why did it take them to figure that out? So I like that. I like that. Any, um, I don't know any, while we're on the topic of repricers, is there any rule that you think everyone should follow who's using a repricer? I think that you should consistently set your repricer. I, one of the things that has worked for me, because I have really bad ADD, I can't follow schedules, I always forget to do things, is I set that every couple weeks I go in and I redo my repricing. So I look at everything, takes a couple hours. It's not like I have that much stuff, that like that many ASINs or anything. It's just that I want to be thorough and complete and look at you know what's selling, what's not selling, that kind of crap. And you just need to do that. And if you have, if you're a smaller seller and you don't have that many ASINs, you're not going to take you that long. It's pretty easy to do. So, um, you know, I would, I would definitely recommend that. There's so many people that I'm like, oh, you have a repricer, awesome. When the last time you set it, uh, like three months ago, it's like, okay, well, that's not a good answer. It should be a week ago, today, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. You know, if you want to do it every day, do it every day. I can't, I, I, I would die if I did that. But you know. Uh, so, so that's me, but, uh, that's the biggest thing. And also be reasonable with how you're setting it. You know, one of the things that I don't think for me, when I buy stuff, I very rarely buy stuff much below, like really 50 to hundred percent ROI is really my sweet spot that I'm looking for. And so many people that are like, Oh, I'll do a 10% ROI, maybe on a more expensive product where you're turning a hundred dollars into $10. I don't like that, but I know people do. I personally don't do that stuff, but I look at it as like, you know, if I'm buying this for five bucks and I'm getting a payout of 750 or something like that, that's fine. Um, but if you're so thin on your margins and th so thin on your return, you have to be so careful with those settings. Yeah, absolutely.
Uh, let's see here. Chris, anything or Rasic, anything else you got, man? No, that uh, those are the questions that I, I wanted to get out. Perfect. Uh, Anderson, before before we wrap this thing up, what what are some of the books, podcasts, or blogs that you think people should read as Amazon sellers? Uh, Entresource.com. Definitely, okay. definitely, definitely. Uh, you know what? You know what's a show I always recommend to people, and people think I'm joking, and I promise I'm not joking. If you have Hulu, it's on Hulu. It's called Nathan for You. Have you guys ever seen this? That one doesn't uh, sound familiar. It is so. Number one, it is hilarious. Um, if do you remember Dumb Starbucks? The guy that, yeah, that's Nathan yeah. for you. That's from that TV show. Yeah, and if you watch the episode called Dumb Starbucks, he breaks down. The whole reasoning and everything he did did not get sued by Starbucks. Okay, but he, he basically is a parody of the prophet. Okay, so he begins, he, he's like, yeah, so I went to business school and I got really okay grades. And it's like C plus. And he just gives small businesses advice. And it it's not great advice all the time, but it also kind of is. So I would recommend Nathan for you if you want to watch a TV show. Um, I really love how I built this with Guy Raz. I think that that's one of the best business podcasts out there. If you have not listened to it, look up Sam Coke from Boston Beer Company. That's the Sam Adams Company. Or Damian Johns from FUBU. Okay, Damian Johns from FUBU, that's the one to watch. That's the one to listen to. Okay, number he is so friggin' smart. And the, the, the you know, like, he's a guy that started with, like, t- like, literally sewing together hats to make FUBU. Okay, so definitely that. Um, I actually hate business podcasts, so I don't really listen to a lot of them. Um, I listen to a lot of books on tape, okay? Um, so a lot of audiobooks, a lot of audible. I've been on a Kurt Vonnegut uh, uh, kick right now and some old school sci-fi kind of stuff. I did Dune. I haven't seen the movie yet that just came out, but I did Dune a few weeks ago, just did Slaughterhouse-Five. So that's what I listen to. And then, like, uh, true crime. I listen to true crime podcasts. That's like, or just weird, weird stuff like that. Um, books. Um, I always recommend Small Time Operator. That's a really good book on the basics of how to run any business that's not FBA, just Small Time Operator. Uh, Pumpkin Principle and Profit First by uh, uh, Mike, whatever his last name is. That Those was. are really good. Yeah, uh, you could probably get him on this podcast. By the way. I have a feeling you could you could finagle that, Chris. Chris's okay. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, I like the, the four hour work week. I think it kind of ruined business for a couple uh, decades after uh, the book came out. But you know, it's okay. I'm kind of people like read it wrong. People read did. that book wrong because it's probably one of the best. It's probably a really great business book. But you're right. That kind of started the whole. I can make a million dollars in four hours a week. And that's not really what it was about. And, and Anderson, your original quote, when I heard it was the four hour work week ruined the world. Yeah. 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 He called me an asshole one time, like, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever. But, um, but yeah, so, so that's the thing. Um, Another really good uh, podcast, unfortunately just came to end is reply all. That's a really good one. That's one of my favorite ones. Another one is called um, uh, 99% Visible. So I went to college for mechanical engineering. Uh, I dropped out, so, you know, college dropout, whoop, whoop. But uh, um, 99% Invisible is from a Buckminster Fuller quote, which is 99% of good design is invisible. And that's very important. And when you start to realize that, you can start to kind of see the strings. You know, that's what I think I'm really good at with business is to see the way a business operates, but also, so there's like the way a business publicly operates, like grocery store. Oh, it's a store that has grocery on the shelves and people go into the store and they buy their groceries and they pay for it and they go out to the car. Okay, that's how a grocery store works. But there's so much more to that. And I've worked in a grocery store. So like, I know, you know, hard lines and soft lines. Why is bread at the back of the store? Why is milk at the back of the store? There's a reason for this stuff. We'll save that for part two of you guys having me on the podcast. <laughs> if I hold my hands like this, nobody can hear me. But, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that is that design is so important. And if you design your arbitrage business, whether it's OA or RA, the correct way, you can get it to start to work for you and, and place these systems. And, and that's what I, I think people don't understand is when you look at people like us that have been doing this for, 
I've been in this almost eight years. Chris, you've been in forever. Uh, Rasek, how long have you been doing this? Three years. Three years. So the amount of time that we've put into this is a lot more than somebody just beginning. And, and sometimes we just have these systems in place that are even hard to describe, uh, but they exist and they're very helpful to us. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Guys, I appreciate it. Before we go, we've got uh, we've got quote of the week. And this one is directly stolen from the episode. Uh, why work hard when you really don't have to, like Chris Anderson. So, Chris, thanks so much for being here, man. I appreciate you taking some time out of the week to, to hang out with us. Wow. And, uh, it's and been excellent. Podcast I'm so happy. Episode. Uh, you're definitely coming back. And fortunately, I can I can usually wrangle you. So I appreciate you doing that. Man. Yeah, yeah. It's great to have you get, or be here, guys. Yeah, yeah that was Rasic, thanks for Thanks for hanging out, man. I will, uh, yeah, I'll see you next see week. You. And uh, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and share to Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite FBA group. And be sure to tag me and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear more from us in the future. Also, I'd like to give you some free gifts for listening. Head over to rabbittrailchallenge.com and repricerchallenge.com for some free courses to further your business. Thanks for listening.